Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Today, you're going to hear from two friends of mine, a couple who have been out on the road full-time traveling for eight years now, and we're talking about, among other things, glamping. Yes, glamping. I'm not sure what that word means to you when it hits your ears. I certainly have some negative connotations with that term, and that's why I wanted to do this show, because I know what it says, the term, and what it is are two different things, and I think this show might redefine what glamping, the term glamping, means to you. It might even get you excited about it, and maybe if you've done it, you already are excited about it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get a bunch of road trip tips and talk about perhaps the biggest reason why going back to visit the same place never feels the same. All of that and much more is happening right now. So buckle up, strap in, grab your favorite beverage, kick back and relax. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I just ate three pepperkaka, which is a Norwegian for gingerbread cookies, <laughs> and drank a cup of glog, which is a traditional Christmas, like a mulled wine thing. It was non-alcoholic. It's 9.49 in the morning right now as I record this. So I'm pretty amped up getting ready for the holiday season working on our sixth annual Norwegian Christmas Spectacular. If you want to get a little Christmas vibe going, I have some Christmas specials in the feed. You can just search Norwegian Christmas Spectacular and get cozy. A little hot chocolate on your couch. Look at your Christmas tree if you have one, and you can listen to some of those shows if you'd like. But let's focus on today's show. I've got a couple who has been full-time traveling since their honeymoon and that's about eight years now running. And one of the big reasons why I love to have full-time travelers on this show is because they're just packed with travel tips. And you also get to hear more about the reality of that lifestyle. If you've been doing it for so many years, it really is just a, a different way of life. And everybody has their own unique perspective and their unique take on it. And they do it in their own 
style, I suppose I would say. And the couple today is no exception. So I know you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. And there are certainly a couple travel tips that they mentioned that I had never thought about before. One of the big ones is how not to travel in an RV. This is something I've been considering doing in the next year or two, maybe moving the family into an RV for a year or something like that. And this was an eye-opener for me, what what they shared with me today. So you're going to hear that in this show. And we also talk about why they almost completely canceled this glamping excursion through the USA, where they're currently at right now. And this led to a bigger question, which I posed at the top of the show. Maybe this is the biggest reason why going back to a place that you've been before never quite feels the same. And we'll talk a little bit more about that after you hear the interview. First, do you want to get 15% off some awesome travel gear? (laughs) I got the hookup for you. I actually included Victorinox Swiss Army Knife on my recent gift guide, and they got in touch with me and they said, hey, we want to support one of your shows and we want to give your audience a 15% discount on travel gear. And I said, hey, sure, hook them up. So if you go to victorinox.com, you can get 15% off just by using the promo code 015. And Victorinox, they make those Swiss Army knives. I'm sure you've seen them. Most travelers have them. If you don't, what a great gift idea. I have their Swiss Army knife. I have their multi-tool. I've had one of their watches in the past. But you know that Victorinox also makes some of the best luggage currently on the market. They make carry-ons in multiple sizes with thoughtful details such as removable USB ports and padded laptop compartments. Their check bags expand up to 47% available in both hard and soft side. Again, if you go to Victorinox.com, use that promo code 015, you're going to get 15% off through December 31st. You can get your gift shopping on. They got a ton of great travel gear over there. Thanks to them for supporting today's show. And I mean, if you don't have a Swiss Army knife, come on. I think every traveler worth his salt has, or her salt has a a Swiss Army knife somewhere, right? What a useful thing. Uh, And they got so much other great stuff there. So check them out. Thanks again to them. Now, let's get into today's interview, the meat and potatoes. And I will see you on the other side, my friend. I'm really excited to welcome back to the show my friends Mike and Ann Howard from HoneyTrek.com. You might remember them. They were the couple that went on their honeymoon in January of 2012, and they just never went home. They've been spending the last three years traveling 73,000 miles through nine countries in a vintage camper doing quote-unquote research, I'm using air quotes, for their latest book about glamping, and it's called Comfortably Wild. It's available now. We're going to talk about road tripping. We're going to talk about long-term travel. We're going to talk about nomad life, and yes, we're going to talk about glamping, aren't we, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for yeah, it's good to be back, man. Right. So I, I, from some of the info you sent over, I'm not sure if you actually bought the camper three years ago, if you took it through all nine countries. So maybe we want to get some clarification if I have an inaccurate description there for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, no, we did buy it. We bought it in April of 2017. So a little bit just shy of three years that we've been full time living in this vintage camper. Yeah. And we were already thinking after, you know, just as a new chapter in Honey Truck, because we like to mix it up and not always do the same style of travel. We did a couple camper vans. Actually, we did one in Scotland, one in Ireland and another in New Zealand. 
as like just ways to see those really sweet, you know, remote countries. And we just fell in love with it. And then somebody put the bug in her ear like, well, why don't you do it in America? And we're like, well, it's not going to be as easy. It's not going to be as cool. We're going to get hassled. But then eventually we saw this vintage camper and it was right around the time that we were about to research for Comfortably Wild. And we it sort of was a perfect storm where Falcon Guides is the publisher and they reached out to us for this book. They saw that we'd been, you know, one, reviewing hotels around the world for our, our Nat Geo book, for glamping.com, honeymoons.com. And they saw this thread of glamping and they saw that no one had done a book about glamping from a from like a travel guide perspective. And they said, do you want to do it? And we're like, well, we're really about to go around North America anyway and buy a camper van and glamping is absolutely our favorite style of travel. Like game on, let's do it. So yeah, right yeah. on. I mean, so when you guys sent it over at first, I was like, oh, this is, yeah. If I was going to be assigned to write a book, like this is, this might be the one that I would pick, <laughs> you know? Um, I have so many questions about glamping and we'll get into that. But uh, I guess I'm wondering, are you guys at all burnt out on like the nomad living thing? Having been doing I mean, that, that, that's like the beauty for us of like having these different chapters that if I mean, if we were a backpack, I mean, we've been on the road since January 2012. So this in a month, it'll be exactly eight years since we left New York and we haven't had a house or an apartment, you know, aside from little house sitting gigs since then. But we have kind of distinct chapters where we did like the first two years of our trip was just legit backpacking, like 33 countries in under two years. Yeah, like we averaged six continents. two and a half days per city. So we saw like, well, I don't know. It was a crazy pace. That yeah. was maybe not sustainable, but we lasted two years doing that and then realized, well, we don't want to give up travel just because we're kind of getting a little pooped out by that style we that's kind of when we discovered house sitting and we um were ski bums for a, a season in in vermont and we're like let's work on our skiing and like get our blogging together and then we kind of took off again for um a kind of a house sitting chapter which yeah i think it was almost two us, years or so yeah sent us to like 11 countries and we're like this is awesome because when you house sit you know, you wind up being still, but then you get to be like hyper local and like learn about a new area and make local friends and get the inside tips. And, but then if you're going to fly to Portugal for a house sit, well, then you're going to see Spain and you're going to check out other regions of Portugal and maybe extend and hop over to Greece. Like it, it always leads to new things. So it kind of was a way for us to sort of map out our year to have a few gigs, but then while you're going someplace, turn it into a backpacking trip. Like we just house sat in, in a, for an abandoned resort in uh, Roatan, Honduras, craziest house it ever. Um, but then we wound up, uh, then we're like, yeah, we're going to backpack Honduras, El Salvador and Guatemala on the way home for Christmas, you know? So yeah. it's then, a great way to kind of structure our travels. And then like the camper, which we kind of, you know, kicked off the call with, like that to us is for us at this stage in our life is almost the perfect hybrid of all of them because it's, well, you know, my mom laughs that like, we're, you know, the only people she knows that would buy a camper to be settling down. But like, you know, to us, that's right. like having a closet. Oh, yeah. A stove, that's like serious. You know, our own refrigerator. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, it's it's nice to settle down in a camper. But and it's, it's like, also, oh, 104 square feet. I'm like, yeah, that's way bigger than a backpack. So I yeah. feel like we're living a lap of luxury in this <laughs> tiny little thing. And then it's like a little place that we can always call home. But it's so easy to just park it in an airport pay five or 10 bucks a day and go to, you know, Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala for three months or go to Europe for a month. Like it's just easy. It's a home that you can just leave anywhere and we can still backpack. We can still 
do fancy resorts. You know, if we're reviewing something for work, we can house it so we can still do it all, but still. It's kind of like the ultimate independence too. In being truly nomadic and backpacking, I felt like we started just to be like, I don't want to ask anybody more favors. Like, you know, so many lovely friends who were like, of course, stay with us. But like, it's just nice to know that you don't, you are truly independent and you don't need to to ask for anything. And now we visit friends, we're like, oh, they're like, oh, I made the guest bedroom. We're like, our bed's outside. Like, don't even bother with the change in the sheets. Like, we're good. So you can feel like you're giving more. Right. So it's more of a, a two-way than a, than how just feeling like you need stuff. And, right. and now we don't need a thing. And then you're like, wait a minute, let's, let me check the room first before I actually say we're going to sleep outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold We're on. about some nice places. <laughs> let's not get carried away. Bed, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, it uh, sounds like, yeah, it is the happy medium. Uh, do you guys both grow up in the city? And grew up in Hollywood, like in Hollywood proper in Los Angeles. And then I'm kind of more, a little more mountain guy. I grew up in the Poconos, Pennsylvania. Oh, you did. Which yeah. part? You're a PA guy, right? Yeah. Well, I used to work at Woodlock, which is near Hawley, PA. It's out in the middle of uh-huh. nowhere. Do you know where it is? Yeah, yeah. I know Hawley. I know okay. Hawley. Yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting. All right. So wait, what's it like growing up in Hollywood? It's it's a, it's a funny place, right? Um, just because it's got this name and then the actual place is not like the just glitz and glamour of what the Hollywood, the concept is like kind of a gritty place, right? Like nobody would even come play in my neighborhood because you had to pass a bunch of drug dealers or prostitutes. Not to say my neighborhood is bad. I grew up in the hills and we would walk out the door and go hiking, but LA is such a mixed bag. It's very character building. Um, I actually moved to Amish country, Pennsylvania really? upon graduating high school. Cause I was like, I gotta get out of here and see something really different. And let me tell you, Amish country is that. Yeah. Is that, was that for college or? Yeah, I went to Franklin and Marshall in Lancaster. Okay, because my sister went to Kutztown, which is sort of near Amish yeah. country as well. We, I think we played you in Ultimate Frisbee, yeah. <laughs> nice. So um, all these years on the road, I mean, coming from your backgrounds and where you guys grew up and kind of the things that you valued or you were exposed to growing up, what are what's what are like one or two of the things that you've probably learned the most about yourself in terms of like something that was new to you only that you were only exposed to through travel as opposed to like growing up. I feel like threshold of pain. Does that sound weird? <laughs> I feel like sell it for all the, nom- all the wannabe nomads out there. I feel like people don't realize what they're capable of and yeah. how adaptable we are as human beings, you know, like, and some of the worst stuff is yeah, adaptability. We'll say it sounds better then threshold of pain. And on the adaptability thing. <laughs> threshold of pain sounds us, like, like a, a metal band from Norway. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll be our, our side that'll be our third book, Threshold of Pain. I like it. Um, yeah, 10 years on a road. Find your threshold of pain. No, but like, I think the adaptability side of it, which is kind of like, what's your threshold? And it's not about pain, but it's about how, you know, how much do you need? Like, what, how many material goods do you need? And this kind of feeds to like something that I've learned on the road, like, that you need a lot less, you need less creature comforts, you don't need like this white picket fence, you know, six figure job and a BMW and like an upward trajectory to keep your parents happy or to keep your wife happy or to think you're keeping yourself happy. Like you learn a completely new way to think about life and being adaptable is is the key to that because people that go on the, this year long trip because they want to just see all the world and, you know, spend money and just go to every, you know, 
fancy, you know, hotel in the world or whatever their their goal is for this one year trip or their 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 big thing, if they're not adaptable and flexible to to different situations, they're going to miss all the beauty of going to those places. They're still going to see them. They're still going to see the Great Wall and see the Eiffel Tower and have this amazing photo on Instagram that their friends are going to oogle over. But if they're not adaptable and open to new experiences, they're missing like 80% of the value of long-term travel. They're just doing a bunch of one-week trips to cool destinations. So when you are adaptable, and that's a skill that I think has kept us going for eight years and makes it every day, like we're excited to go to the Mojave Desert in a week with some friends. We're going to do like a camping trip out there. And we're still excited about it because we're we're open to who we're going to meet there, what foods we're going to try, what hike we're going to do. And like, we're not just like going in with this expectation or trying to check anything off. We're we're just open to that new experience. And I think that adaptability is important to to have and that flexibility and not like be so rigid about what you're expecting or upset when things when you miss some bus or when it's not as beautiful as you thought it was going to be. There's always something magical there and you just need to be open to receive it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be a trade-off when you travel long-term, right? Because there's certain things that even with all that, you might desire certain things that you just don't have with a life on the road, right? I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I remember just times being like, oh, I wish I could just, you know, you like kind of crave like, oh, I wish I could just go to like the local gym down the street and have to like find a new one every time I go somewhere else or, um, you know, mostly the social stuff. Or have a hot shower anywhere in Asia. Right. right. (laughs) Mostly the social stuff, like just being uh, on on the road with uh, like a smaller group of people or just your significant other all the time and not having... You know, you're crossing paths with friends, but it's not like a constant social circle. But now, I mean, with the internet, you guys do get that, I guess, to an extent. But I mean, I'm not, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but what are some of the challenges for you that have been challenges recently? Because you're always growing as people, right? And you spend eight years on the road. You're not the same people, of course, that you were eight years ago. Um, and those challenges always look different. What are some of the things right now that cause you guys any stress or challenge? I have one. You want to think of one? Well, if you have one, go for it. So my biggest challenge, so like Honey Trek is, is our site. It's our brand. We, you know, we do lots of, of work in that realm, not just writing, you know, the Net Geo book or the glamping book, but we do a lot of partnerships and we write for other outlets. And when something is your baby, as you know, you know, with, with, with your various businesses and Camp Indy and, and everything, there's, it's very hard to, to check out, like when you're at a normal job and you can be like, cool, it's six o'clock. I worked hard today. I'm going to go to the bar with my buddies and not think about work until I sit down at my desk at 8 a.m. the next day to put in my, you know, my, my next nine hours. But when it's your own baby and, you know, and there's a lot on the line there, like it's, it's hard to check out. And we're both pretty type A we liked seeing Honey Trek succeed. We also like sharing it with people. Like we're not, we don't need more money. Like we live so frugally and we've saved up enough that like we're not working for money, but we like seeing people's eyes get open when we do a trip coach course. And like, that's like a long-term travel coaching service we do where we teach people how to travel around the world and seeing their eyes light up is like, is addictive. And when people write comments on the blog or on Facebook and they're like inspired by something like that's kind of addictive. So it's hard for us to check out and find like that personal time to just watch a Netflix movie or go for a hike or whatever. And, not and we feel still guilty, do that stuff, but kind of? what's that? And not feel guilty 
kind of that you're not. Yeah, and like, I feel. Yeah, yeah. especially because it's always in flux. So say we're at a house sit right now for a month in Utah, and that feels like, oh, wow, we got to get it all done, right? Because when we do go on the road, everything does go up in the air, and yeah. the adaptability thing makes that okay. But at the same time, like we're hunting down an internet connection or, you know, using our phone and standing on the roof, like trying to pick up a signal, like you kind of, everything gets a little harder. So when we do have a stable environment, we like go full on and yeah. we just like wind up working really long hours. But you know, this is, it's also good to have, I love house sitting because to me, it's kind of like when you're in, in, a, in a, somewhere you live, you take it for granted, right? I'm sure there's beautiful things all around you, but you kind of do it when you are when you're, have relatives in town and do the dog and pony show. But like when you have an end to something, you prioritize what matters, right? So we work hard, but you know what? Tomorrow's a sunny day and there's this ridiculous, like we're, we're at the edge of Bearsier's National Monument, right? So phenomenal, like ancestral Pueblo and ruins and epic hiking, like we're going to stop everything and do that tomorrow because on Tuesday, we're going to take the whole day and yeah, because tomorrow's the sunniest day and the homeowners come on home on Friday. So like, you know, you, you don't take, you, you have a real sense of time when you know you only have two weeks to do it, a month to do it, six months to do it. And we've paced out our adventures. So like, we are going to come out of here seeing awesome things because you knew it was going to come to an end versus just like when it's always around you, sometimes you don't see the beauty or take the time that it deserves to explore it. Right. And it helps to have a partner who sees that beauty too and keeps you from oh, working like 18 hour days. Oh, he's computer if I didn't make him do fun things. <laughs> that's the dynamic, huh? The work time. Because that's a whole other <laughs> I'm thread of this we could explore, right? The work dynamic between you two and how that works with the... Well, let's talk about it through the, the lens of the book because you're you're going to these... We're going to talk about glamping because I want, I want to get into this. But you go to these beautiful places. You're kind of pretty much connected to nature right there but you're also writing this book so in that example how do you guys balance the book writing responsibilities of capturing the feelings the essence what you want to put the creative elements that go into creating a book i don't know if you're taking all the pictures in this book did you guys take these pictures we took yeah we i mean we took prop photos at every property we went to we probably visited 60 different glamping properties on this road trip there's about 70 featured in the book but then, you know, the properties supplied a few of the photos. Maybe it was rainy or gloomy when we were there. Or they've got, you know, some cool food shot or whatever that we needed. So the properties supplied some of the photos. But well, like 50, 60 percent are ours. Yeah. 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 Well, over half Great of photos. Ours. I mean, it's a beautiful Thanks, man. book. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Like, so in that example, how do you guys balance the the work lifestyle? Enjoy yourself thing do you like you're like all right we're gonna come in here we're gonna just like take tons of pictures and do all this stuff and then we're gonna like just enjoy it for the next two nights or whatever how do you guys how did you manage that i think the good thing about you know working with these properties and like actually knowing that we because the ultimate journeys for two which was the net geo book we wrote three years ago we had no idea we were writing that book until we had already visited all those destinations so net geo said hey you want to write this book pick your favorite spots in the world and we kind of went back and like looked through photo logs. In, in and a way, like, that's better, had, right? You didn't have the stress. Totally, yeah. It was like we were just there having fun. Um, but with this book, um, we knew in advance. We scouted these properties. We talked to them. We interviewed them on the phone, made sure they were a good fit, and then went to review them. And the way that I think we kept it fun was that we tried to experience them not from a journalistic perspective per se, but like a real um like a guest would would see it. So we even told people like, don't you know, don't even tell your staff we're coming. Just like treat us like normal guests. We want to just go out and have fun and go to dinner. And 
So we tried to be a little more subtle about, you know, not like setting up lights or like staging photos. It was just like, let's experience it like a guest would see if it's worthy of being in this book. And then once it is, usually at the end of our stay, we'd be like, cool, there's like three shots we didn't get. Like, let's walk around and get those shots. But for the whole experience, we tried to keep it fun and like a guest would just to, you know, make sure we could relay that experience in the book properly. And it just sort of pushed like we're ambitious travelers, clearly. But we also like when we had a goal like this, like we really were seeking out truly unique experiences. It wasn't. Like just tents or just yeah. The book we could have done. There's been a bajillion articles written about the best glamping destinations, and if you look at those articles, you line them up, they're spouting out the same like ten places most of the time, and it's the same photos that are from the marketing department with very similar descriptions. We're like, no one's been to these places. Like clearly, this is like we're gonna do this research ourselves. We're gonna take three years to do it and because we're going to do it right and we're going to find the people who are coming from a place of heart you know we went to a lot of the places on the best of list and they didn't necessarily make it because it felt like it didn't come like some of them felt too corporate they didn't feel personal it was really a large of this book is about the story of these really phenomenal people who built something totally unique and creative and are so passionate about their you know surroundings and and sharing it with guests that that's what the book became about which is like just the passion that goes into into a boutique glamping place because you don't do this to be rich and you you do it because you love nature and you love sharing it can you share one of those stories that stands out to you so many favorites. Um, so the book is organized, just so you know. Maybe you pick which chapter you want to hear about. So because it wasn't the the treehouse chapter and the safari tent chapter, it's the cultivate chapter, and that's all farm stays. Or Wild West would be ranches. In motion are multi-day journeys going from camp to camp. Um, safari is like wildlife viewing driven. Uh, living history is like you know, an abandoned cannery in BC that gets, you know, now they've renovated the old manager's cabins from 1904 and you go and, you know, run amok around the general store. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Bull Hill is a cool story. Tell them about like the history of Bull Hill with his dad. Well, some... actually, well, so uh, did any of those jump out at you? Or I mean, I, well, I just love how you guys categorize them. I think that was brilliant the way you slotted them under these, these overarching themes, essentially. Um, what I was curious about, I guess, was a lot of times travel of course comes down it does come down to the people you meet and the stories you hear right so i was wondering if there was a particular person or an owner of one of these places or something that kind of stood out to you as something that you really connected with well because you just said bull hill which was really funny because it's it's a ranch that's like fourth generation back and he was a guy who like came through ellis island and like the grandfather yeah was a sort of horseback ride and picked up odd jobs and found his sort of little slice of Washington that he reminded him of home and he settled there. And, um, but when we got to this place, which is now still run by his great grandsons and granddaughters, we're like, are we crashing a wedding? Like what? there was like a raging party going on in there. Nope. That's just your normal night at Bull Hill. It is an open, open bar. You help yourself to the cookie jar. You feel like family. And we got there feeling like it just instantly welcome. And, um, you know, they're just they're just having fun. Like the fact that they're having fun, you can't not have fun with them. You know, they make up silly rules like don't you know, don't fall off your horses. You'll have to, you know, take a shot out of the bull's horn. Oh, you lost your hat. Well, that's a half a shot. And, uh, you know, no, you just 
they're they're just kind of like anything you want to do. Yeah, we're rounding up Kelly. You want to come? Like it felt like, you know, you were a friend and you were family, and that's kind of what we were going for. That's a beautiful thing. It's uh, or that organic feel. Glamping, uh, by the way, in case anybody's listening, they're still like, what? WTF is glamping. <laughs> I know. What a silly Gla- word, right? Glamorous camping. I was going to ask if you guys, if you like the term, because I think it's pretty oh, lame. But I think it's it's um, it's unfortunate that that became it's the term, but enough people are recognizing it. And, you know, that's why we didn't call it the glamping book. We almost could have because there isn't a travel guide on glamping. But we're like, you know what? It, some we want people to get away from like the foofiness of the word glamping and yeah. go, these are awesome outdoor experiences everybody should have. It's not about glamour. It's not about, you know, it's you're about, not camping. Yeah, and you're not camping. I mean, so. you're in the woods, but you've got some luxuries. And yeah, to us, it was all about access to these unique properties that you probably otherwise wouldn't go to, but it's, it's you, some family ranch. Remote wilderness areas. Yeah, remote wilderness areas. And yeah. And people that have a connection to this land, they're showing all sorts of activities because you're not just sitting in a tent and being like, wow, this hotel room is great. Like now let's drive somewhere and have fun. No, you're in a fun place and these owners know it. So they showcase it with all sorts of cool activities. And that is why we organized it by type of activity because we want people to think past just the thread count on the sheets or wow, this is an Instagrammable you know, shot of my feet out of a tent. Yeah. Um, although we're guilty of that too, but like, mm-hmm. it's much more than that. It's much deeper than, than just this unique structure set in the middle of the world. And we kind of just broke it down to like, what does define glamping? Um, and to us, it was comfortable accommodations. You're not going to be, you know, sleeping on the ground ever. Um, it's all set up for you. Uh, the creative structures that they're going to like have this wow factor of maybe it is a, a unique treehouse or a, a shipping container. There's really no bounds to what glamping can be as long as it's comfortable in nature, done with level of creativity, sustainability, that they should they should tread lightly on the land. You're not knocking down trees to make it. You're working with the existing environment. That was really important to us as well. And then the inspiring proprietors, the people who make this truly one of a kind, people who share their story and give you access into their world. Yeah. I love how you guys kind of redefine it too. It kind of take back the term, right? Because it does have this feel of just the term conjures up these images of you know, like four star hotel or something. And like you said, that's not what this is. I mean, what camper doesn't want to sleep in a, tr- or what traveler doesn't want to sleep in a tree house, I would say, or, sure. you know, some kind of old historic building and, and be a part of that and like inhabit that space. Inhabiting uh, spaces like that changes your travel experience, right? It's not the same as staying in a hostel or a hotel or, or anything like that. I guess the spirit of glamping for you guys, what would that mean? Like, you know, when you, you describe, uh, if somebody asks you about a place you went or um, just asks you about your nomad life, like it, it, you get these feelings within, then you have to put words to them, right? So if somebody asks you about your glamping experience and you say, oh, what was it like to go glamping around? I know we keep using the term glamping even though we're dissing it, <laughs> but everybody knows <laughs> what it is. What does that mean to you internally? I mean, well, two things that come to mind for me. One is it's it allows people a deeper connection to the land. It 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 gives them an accessibility because yeah, you could also have a deep connection to the land by putting on a 50-pound pack and putting a tent in there and a camping stove, and you would have, you know, also a deep connection to that land. But that's just, you know, that's not always for the husband, the wife, and the two kids, and the grandma certainly is not going to go on that kind of trip. 
So while maybe one person in the relationship can have that, um, glamping to us is like, it makes it much more inclusive of multi-generational, of friends, of city dwellers. It, it gives an access to nature for such a wider group of people that otherwise either wouldn't see it or would just stay in a hotel in a city and go on like a one day excursion for a hike or something. But you're, you get to immerse yourselves there without having to fear buying all this gear. Am I going to be prepared? Am I going to get rained on? Do I want, not want to sleep on the floor? Do I have to purify my own water? Like not have to worry about any of that. So it, it, it allows a lot more people to connect to the land, which is and just, just re yeah, relax and like not have those fears. And, you know, even we, not that we didn't like camping, but at a certain point we just stopped owning the stuff. Like it didn't make sense. It was too much stuff to schlep. And, but it doesn't, doesn't mean that it didn't want to sleep among the trees. Like it made it really easy. And I love that it is attracting, you know, people who've never camped before. Cause they go, Oh yeah, I've I can do that. Yeah. So it's empowering. And, and even like we made a big point in the book to think about like, you know, putting asking the questions like, is there a handicap accessible, you know, tent or even even treehouse, which some there are. And, um, you know, can you bring your dog? A lot of people love to travel with the dog. Is this going to be good for kids? And if so, what age? Because we have this, you know, awesome river rafting, like river rafting from camp to camp in the largest contiguous wilderness area in the, in the U.S. And it's awesome for kids but over the age of eight. So like we, we asked those questions so that you knew, you know, looking at your group dynamic, what was going to be, you know, going to hit everybody's needs. And yeah. for that moment in your life too, with well, season, what are, budget. What are some of the answers to some of those common questions? I know this is a, a big question because it's going to vary from place to place, but in your experience, what are, are some of the most commonly asked questions and what are the answers to those based on, you know, three years of doing this? People want to know, and there's another thing that, that we that we cover. When you look at the beginning of each property, we have little icons. People, I mean, obviously food is a big thing, right? Most of us eat at least three times a day. And when you're at a property, especially if you're deep in a wilderness, you people want to know, how do I eat when I'm there? So there's a lot of different ways. And well, the two main categories that we have in the book is Will somebody prepare you meals? And then there's a photo of a little waiter there, um, that, that icon. Or do you do they allow a place for you to prepare your own meals, like a kitchen and a refrigerator or, you know, cooking equipment out there? So those are the kind of the two ways that people answer the food question. Can I bring my pet? A lot of glamping places are getting on board with this. I would say almost half allow you to bring a pet. That's another big question. Yeah, how young... Uh, can I bring my kid? Can I bring my toddler or my seven-year-old? Uh, that's another question. Yeah, it's kind of like how much do you want to put into it, right? Because there are some yeah. where like you could get a butler service that some of the places have that. And some are, you know, cooking your food over a fire. And there's a joy in that. It just depends what you're looking for in this moment. Right. And we kind of in the end, in addition to these symbols on each property, we do a vacation matchmaker kind of matrix at the end where you look where, you know, am I going in winter? Is it, do I'm looking for a family friendly place or a romantic family place, a super deal. And we kind of like put a check by all the places that really, you know, strive at those things. And like that range that you just mentioned to me gets also to the, the crux of the problem with glamping is that, well, one, there's just like people will use it as like a cheesy term and be like, oh, you're going glamping. But there's such a range in glamping, like Andrew said, from like being remote in the woods with just one or two tents and a fire ring all the way up to butler service. Like it's, 
It's right. so varied that you can't, no one can ever be like, oh, I don't want to go glamping because it means almost everything right. that, that doesn't involve you setting up your own tent. If someone set up if something for you. If you like nature you, and you like being comfortable, like you're going to, you're going to love it. Like there's just no way you wouldn't. Right. I mean, that's probably one of the things you guys love about the camper, right? You're kind of more connected to the outdoors. You're right there. You open your door, you're outside. Um, yeah. It sounds like a very similar experience in all the types of places that you review in this book. What about the costs? That's going to be a big uh, question for people. It seems like it's always really expensive on the surface, but I don't know that from fact because I haven't. We were very mindful of having a, a really wide range of prices because it shouldn't have to be expensive at all. And it's funny because some people, I, I'm, oh, it's 50-50, I feel like, depending on who you're talking to. They either think gambling is expensive in their mind or they think just a nicer camping experience. Like I've talked to both who see glamping on totally different ends, but for us, it's, um, no, it, we, I think it said the average cost of a night in the book is like $125. We have some that are a thousand, but we also have some that are 35. So we and tried we did, on we, purpose to like give the range. Yeah. We just did an article, uh, wrote a glamping article for budget travel on the 10, our 10 favorite places from the book under $150 a night. So and that's just our 10 favorite. There's a lot more than that or that are like right around that price range. And so. the one that's crazy a thousand. Well, it's like so beyond all inclusive. It's like they give you ski lift passes and new gear to go out and shred the gnar. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that your own private fly fishing guide. You're, you know, you're taking a, a stagecoach to your your Dutch oven cookout in the woods, like everything's taken care of. So if it's really expensive, trust me, it'll be worth it because they're giving you a certain level of access and experience that it would be to us invaluable. That's awesome. Uh, and by the way, Anne, I got to give you props because you are officially the first person to say shred the gnar on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that in so long and I love it because it's just, oh, it's just like a throwback term right there. It's just great. <laughs> shred the gnar. If you don't know what it is, look at, I mean, is it, it's got to be in the Urban Dictionary by now, right? Oh, I don't, for sure. I don't know. <laughs> That's fantastic. Look um, it up, kids. <laughs> Well, the book we're talking about is called Comfortably Wild, and make sure that if you're if this is resonating with you, you pick it up because as you can hear, you guys clearly know what you're talking about, and this is a great guide for anybody that wants to get into this style of travel. I wanted to get your guys' tips on road tripping because, well, I mean, we can get a lot of travel tips from you just because you've been on the road for so long, but since you've been road tripping in the camper recently. I figure that's top of mind. And then you've been to Central America pretty recently too. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But as far as your road trip tips, what are some things that you've learned that things that you would definitely recommend that people look into or do if they're going on a road trip? I'll give two. Number one, I'll start with one and then we can alternate maybe. Uh, I think my biggest tip, if somebody is going to, at least if you're going to do a camper, RV, van type um, multi-month or multi-year trip anywhere in the world, um, be self-sufficient, like have, get a rig that has a bathroom and solar panels. Those are the only two things. If you have those two things, you can literally like we've pulled, we just, uh, did a boondock, which is where you're not parking at a campground. You just kind of pull down a dirt road and find somewhere pretty in uh, in Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah. And we weren't planning to even be in that park for the day. We were going to drive through and park somewhere on the other side of the park. And we found this site that was so beautiful. 
we parked the car on the side of the road and literally did not move our vehicle for eight days. <laughs> and the only way we were able to do that, and we worked, we wrote uh, Comfortably Wild from that spot for eight days. We had one bar of 4G, which is just enough. And we have our own shower, we have water, and we had solar. So we had unlimited power. And people that that want to go on a big road trip or do an RV trip and get these like 30 foot, 40 foot rigs because they want all the comforts of home, but they don't, they can, we don't have the power. They can stay for maybe two days on their battery before they need to drive their car and charge it up or run a generator, which is noisy and stinky. Get a small vehicle. You don't need a lot. Get like a 20 foot vehicle, 21 feet at the max and be self-sufficient. And your trip is going to be totally different than needing to constantly go to RV parks and plug in. Because really, it's not, I mean, to be lined up with other RVs in a parking lot, listening to that generator of your neighbor, that is so the antithesis of like why we're doing this. Yet that's the more common style of RVing, which blows my mind. But for people who aren't going to buy a rig, this is a good tip, is um, Outdoorsy.com is an awesome peer-to-peer RV share site. So maybe you've always wanted to try an Airstream or uh, any kind of vintage thing or a brand new Sprinter because maybe you're going to possibly get one down that, you know, down the road. You can try different vehicles that way. And then just RVing is like one of the most like cost efficient ways to travel, most convenient ways to get remote. So we we love that. Um, but for somebody who's doing just like your more um, well, I have like a, ge- a smaller road trip. Uh, a general road trip tip. And this is for cars, RVs or anything. If you are listening to this and you don't have the app downloaded that's called Gas Buddy, you need to download that app immediately. It's completely free and it will tell you the cheapest gas in a 20 mile radius of wherever you are. And honestly, like when we pull off the highway sometimes because we need gas and we open up the app, I would say on average we save 10 to 20 cents a gallon by using this app because it tells you, oh, three miles down the road because the one off the highway is gonna be really expensive, but down that dark road that you'd never guess there's a station, there's, you know, gas is 25 cents cheaper. And then they also have a card which you can link up to your bank account and it becomes basically an ATM. And that'll save you an extra five cents off every gallon of gas from any gas station in the U.S. with no time limit. So check out Gas Buddy and um, and save yourself some money on your next road trip there. Those are all great tips. How do these apps know everything all the time? I don't know. And I don't get it. How can you the know? Data. I'll be driving... I'll drive down the road and I'll be like, oh, I'll like enter gas prices. And like, so I'm constantly feeding it the updated prices and everyone else is doing that too. It's like whatever blah, blah gas station in the middle of nowhere doesn't have an API that you can tap into. I don't really understand. No, they don't. They just rely on drivers going by and entering, updating the price. That's cool. Um, And that's been an amazing thing about like, because we thought when we rented that camper in New Zealand 2013, the world has changed a lot since then. And I, it's kind of like there's just so much information in terms of like you're doing a random boondocking site. And like there's going to be people who will be like, oh, stay away from that pothole on the left. Like really specific stuff that makes travel that much easier. Uh, and should that sharing of information um, – is yeah, it's not it's it's not as scary to get out there. Secretly, you might not run into other campers, but there are people who are are out there who are helping each other, which is really nice. Yeah, how have you found traveling around your home country versus traveling overseas and getting, I imagine, in a way reacquainted or acquainted in a different way? Uh, you had spent so much time overseas, house sitting, going all these places, and now you're really just 
you've been, it sounds like, on the ground through your home country quite a bit, traveling a lot. Talk to me about that. We almost canceled this trip in January of, uh, well, yeah, we, we've been thinking about this trip since the middle of 2016, and we all know what happened, um, you know, well, whatever. We don't want to get political, but we almost, we almost didn't go. We were almost like canceled it because we just weren't, you know, excited about you know, I don't know about the America we're going to find out there. I felt like that election was like really scary about like, who is America? And are they going to be as friendly and welcoming as I thought they would be? And you know what the good news is? They are. They are. Honestly, nicer, we're like nicer than even you could ever expect. I like, mean, we're going through the deep south. We're going through the, you know, the middle of the country, all over the place. And you know, we love going to dive bars. I think it is the best cultural experience you can have in America is find that random town, that random dive bar and just start chatting with people. And we've had some of the best experiences like, you know, the uh, Cajun dance hall of Homa, Louisiana, where the, the Jolly Inn, we, they're kind of really known for their dancing. We get there on, on a night where there's no music, there's no dancing. It's pretty much closed. And then Teeny is her name, who's got like the raspiest, like smoking since she was born she's kind got of to. voice yeah. with a Southern drawl. And she's like, I'm open for you, come on in. And we want to just like sitting at the bar and just telling stories like back and forth until like God knows what hour. And then she's like, just stay here the night. So we slept in the parking lot and came back in the morning. She's like, oh, you haven't had gum? Oh my God, we're going to change that. And uh, so that's the kind of stuff you run into if you're just like open to, you know, hanging out local dives and not, and not imposing too much of yourself. Just be a good listener, right? I think it's taught us to be a good listener because if we go in like bleeding blue liberals, we're not going to maybe make friends as in some parts of the country, but you don't, you don't approach things from a political perspective. You come at it from like a human perspective and we all have more in common if we can just kind of hang out. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, our biggest takeaway is just, you know, from this trip is, is like how similar, and this is our similar takeaway from, you know, the 60 other countries that we visited around the world. And it's the same with the, you know, 47 States we visited here. Like you're, when you're in your bubble, whether your bubble is the whole USA or your bubble is Texas or your bubble is, you know, Pennsylvania New or New York City. Yeah. When you're in that bubble, you're you're just always thinking that there is, OK, I got to stay here because it's just too scary out there. It's too scary to go on a long term trip because I heard of some, you know, backpacker got kidnapped or some family got murdered in Mexico. So I can never go to Mexico again. Like the media is, you know, they sell a lot more advertising and a lot more airtime if the audience is scared and tunes in tomorrow to see what is wrong in places where they don't live. And it's the same thing with our own country. Like they, if, if we all got along and could actually work towards making America truly, you know, great again and like, and, and solving the problems that we have here, then they wouldn't sell the airtime. They wouldn't sell the advertising. So they want to be like, okay, it's blue versus red tomorrow. We've got one guy who thinks this and one guy who thinks that climate change isn't real. Tune in to see who wins the battle royale. And then, then there'll be something next to tune in the next day to see why we should fight. And, and you realize when you get out there, especially when you're going slowly and you're a little more vulnerable, like you are on a road trip, that people are just incredibly kind. And they're just like they could be my neighbors, you know, right next door in New York City 
or wherever. It's not, they're not like this evil group of people and we're not this evil group of people, but, and that really breaks it down for you. So I think that's important to, to do and to be open to those experiences and stop like judging, right? Like we just kind of be, it's good to be an outsider, right? If we're rolling in out of town, we've never been in our lives as part of the country that, you know, maybe is notoriously has different political views or whatever, just, you know, no one's better than anybody and just be open and don't go with so many preconceived notions and see where the day takes you. It'll just work out much better. Not to say that I still don't, we still don't have a few fun conversations because it's hard for me to, you know, to not talk about how much. But you're not as high on your horse, right? You have to know that you're the outsider and to like, you know, be a little more sensitive. I think we are all very uh, knee jerk in our, in our opinions anymore because it's gotten so like, you know, just riled up. Um, But it makes you be more humble, I think, when you're uh, an outsider. Yeah, and it sounds like just having, like you're saying, just having the conversations is the thing too, right? I mean, you're you're open to it. You're listening. I mean, I think the listening thing too is just a great travel tip anywhere, right? I mean, yeah. sit down, you totally. listen to people, and you can connect with people so much more quickly just by listening. But it's an interesting time to travel through the states like that. And I mean, you can also say that for any any long term trip. I think like you, you can't take the time you're in the country and the country out of the context of the rest of what's going on in that country, right? So you're just experiencing it through this slice of time that we happen to be in right now. And it's just interesting to hear because you guys, like you said, had been gone traveling 60 countries and everything. And it sounds like this is, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like this is the most time you've spent back in the States over the eight years. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah, oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. We still do a lot of trips. You know, we we just backpacked around Central America and then we did another month and a half in Europe. So we still get a lot of side trips in, but definitely the most time in and one And I thought block. we'd be, be like six months. That'll be plenty. There's so much to see in this country. And Canada is completely overrated, too. Just like underrated. Oh, sorry. My bad. I love Canada. <laughs> sorry, Canada. No, it's not a diss on Canada. I love Canada. And it's just like super easy travel and people are lovely. And there's just so much to be explored. We drove to the Arctic Circle this summer. You can drive to the Arctic Circle. It's not a smooth ride. Let me tell you, that's the roughest <laughs> road I've ever been on. But I mean, what an adventure. We were running across like moose are running in front of the car links we saw multiple links I mean, and you want to talk about nice people oh my gosh you you just go to canada you feel horrible about yourself and i think i'm a pretty nice person but i am i, I realized how how i'm not nearly as nice as the average canadian they're just so giving and like friendly and open and you know fun conversations and there's just nobody up there it's so remote and if you're going to be you know, when you it. go above like the 200 miles above the border, it really tapers off just to like wilderness and lakes and sweet little towns. And Yeah, that's another tip. Whenever you go on your road trip, put a kayak on the roof. I don't care if you've got a Geo Metro, strap a kayak to the roof <laughs> because there's so many lakes out there. And when you're outside, you know, when you're not in the Rockies or on the coast, you know, there's just a lot of lakes, a lot of flatland and a lot of lakes. And when you have a little watercraft, even if it's an inflatable dinghy or something, if you can get out on these lakes and and little flat rivers, like there's so much to explore that you can't do on foot and it really opens up a road trip is to be able to get on the water. Do you feel at home more in the USA or do you feel more at home somewhere else in the world? I feel a 
that we don't have a particular, like we're not particularly nationalistic or, and that's a good thing. I think it's good to feel like we should all feel like we're citizens of the world and not take this like my country versus your country or this one is better than that one. It's good to start looking at the world as a, as a, as a one unit rather than all these countries. So I think we take a pride in, in being, getting as close to local as we can when we go. And, um, and I not- truly don't, we don't feel, I don't think there's any place that we go. I mean, there's some places you go where you're just like, I'm foreign here, you know, but yeah, but I mean, I the think- feeling like sometimes you feel a little extra connected to some place in some way. I don't know why or where that comes from. Mexico. But- yeah. Okay. If we had to pick one place in the world that we feel that we do go to and feel extra connected to and going constantly back to- going back to and saying, one day we'll live here. And if we had to live anywhere in the world right now, it, it'd be Mexico. That's yeah. like our, our go-to. We just love it so much. The people are friendly. The food is great. It's affordable. It's still got those little touches of the U.S. So it's not Well, we're that connected. Foreign. Like I think that people in the U.S. don't give as much credit, but I feel Mexicans do feel like we are neighbors. And I feel as a U.S. citizen that I they are our neighbors and there should be a more neighborly love there. Um, and you just, you have a lot in common. You have a ton in common, yet they have a very distinct and beautiful and vibrant culture that like constantly dazzles me. What places in Mexico do you like? And this can kind of, we can roll into the Central American conversation here because you were just recently backpacking through Central America a bit, a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I yeah. want to talk a little bit about that before we let you go because it's a, just such a great place to travel around and I'm sure you have some tips to offer there. Yeah. Yeah. Within Mexico, um, it, our first house that we ever did was in Mazatlan, Mexico, which is Sinaloa cartel. If you ever heard of it, is like notoriously dangerous place. Some of the friendliest people. It is a colonial city on the beach, which is kind of a rare and beautiful combination and um, full of culture. And so that's a place that we just really jive with is a little bit of an expat community. But unlike other expat communities, it's not walled off. Like it feels very integrated because that's the thing. It's like Cuenca, Ecuador, for example, rated like one of the best retirement places in a huge expat community. I was there and I just felt like the local scene was so separate. And I that bothered me yeah. versus in Mexico. People were friends, like everybody mixed. So that was huge. We love Guanajuato. That is a phenomenal city. Mm-hmm. Um, we're it's a big road trip this um, January. Yeah, we're about to. Yeah, we're about to drive our camper. We're going to spend a month and a half driving down the Baja Peninsula. Um, so that'll be another. We've been to the southern tip of Baja, but never driven it. So that'll be the first time taking Buddy the camper into Mexico. And then there's just so much more, like Oaxaca. And other, you know, states. we love Mexico City. It's like one of the coolest cities in the world. Yeah, there's um, just so much of Mexico to explore. I mean, it's basically like 15 different countries in one. The, you know, the difference in food and weather and atmosphere. And you mentioned traveling uh, from the house sit. I'm guessing in Honduras through. Uh, I know we exchanged an email, but you mentioned El Salvador and Guatemala. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on travel through that region and what were some of the things you learned on that trip, uh, maybe travel wise, but also, you know, maybe something about yourself or any, anything, yeah. really. keeping it open. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for, we were in Roatan, Honduras, which is an Island off of Honduras and like on the Mesoamerican barrier reef phenomenal. We were like, lived on the beach, but it was in this scenario of, it was an abandoned resort. So, um, 
you know, where the old bar was that looked out over the ocean was a bad house. Um, and, you know, watch out, don't fall through that floorboard. It was one of the crazier houses ever. But, um, you know, where you'd have to get to town, we'd wade through the ocean and scale a cliff. It was definitely unique. And that's an interesting place because it's got... Um, Wait, is that real? Did you have to go through the ocean and scale a cliff yes. to get to town? Yes. Yeah. How did you scale yeah. like a rope, like one of those ropes that's like a fixed rope you just climb or how did you? You just like time the waves and you hug the rock. But meanwhile, it was more no, like, like bouldering. You, you bouldering. didn't have to like, it wasn't sketchy. like a sheer cliff. It, it was like you had to walk in the water, maybe up to your knees. So you can only go with shorts. And then you had to like kind of boulder around this little. And let know. me tell you in the dark, very complicated. <laughs> um, yes. But then we figured like what a cool, it's after we kind of had our time in, in Roatan, which was awesome. We're like, it, we knew that was a little bit of a bubble. So we had to see mainland Honduras, which some of like the best river rafting we've ever done. It was awesome. Um, near La Ceiba on the Congrejal river, super fun. Like that you're rappelling off of rocks and then jumping in your boat. And it was kind of like this canyoneering meets rafting. Very cool trip on the Congrejal river. Omega rafting. Those Omega guys are rafting. Awesome. And, and then, then, yeah, then yeah. we just like hopped on a bus and, we asked the guy, like, we pretty much didn't have any route or plans, but we knew a few things in Honduras we wanted to see, and we... The Copan Ruins. And the Copan Ruins, and we also decided on a whim, like, originally El Salvador wasn't on our route, um, just because we didn't, we had to get to Guatemala to actually review uh, a property that's in the in motion chapter of Comfortably Wild. That's kind of what, what drove us um, into Guatemala, um, Trek Guatemala is those guys we went with there. But on the way, we decided, hey, like El Salvador, we don't see any of our blogging friends writing about El Salvador. It's we, when you Google it, um, like the second or third result is it comes up as murder capital of the world. It's like the most murders per capita in terms of danger. So and it just wasn't getting a lot of love. So we figured, well, we're nearby. Let's peel off like I think we had like six or seven days that we were kind of flexible. We could have spent more in Guatemala. He said, let's give it to El Salvador and let's go see if, you know, it really is as scary and dangerous as people say. And it's real like the, you know, and the, we didn't go to San Salvador, which I think is the heart of a lot of the problems. But and we met locals like we met. So we met some people who actually got invited to spend the night after like an amazing barbecue oh meal. Um, no, no. And, after hiking oh. up an active volcano with the that was like literally closed per ridiculous winds flying rocks and we still got we crawled on our bellies to the edge of this crater lake with these like salvadorian uh belgian Family. couple and it was so crazy and they were like you know we have like this big house like we're gonna stay tonight we're like some junky place down the road come with us forget that place holy moly like it was like three-tier guest house overlooking another crater lake absolutely incredible we made she like taught us how to make, um, you know, some pupusas. local pupusas and just had this really amazing, it was a three generation dinner, like talking to the grandpa, the little kids, and it was just super cool. So That's like awesome. that was our El Salvador experience it was like wow. tons of kindness and adventure and. And just putting yourself out there too. Like I find when you, when you do things on your own, I mean, nothing against group tours, like they've got their own place. Um, and, you know, they help people get to a destination that otherwise maybe wouldn't go to El Salvador or Nepal, maybe going with, you know, a, a tour company helps them get there. But there's just something cool. And for us, like, it's not just, you know, you save money and you maybe see different stuff and it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush. 
but you have such a deeper connection with the locals when you go on your own because then you're in, you get lost, you need a ride, you need to find out where to eat a meal. Like there's so many more interactions because somebody's not just opening every door for you being like, we're eating here and this is the bus is here to pick you up and whisk you away to this amazing trek. Like you're a little bit more exposed, which leads to me to a much deeper trip because you're you're going beyond the superficial visual things and and flavors, but you're actually meeting people and getting lost and and when you push a little bit, I mean we've that whole like quote I don't know some um, guy way smarter and older than me, but the <laughs> the quote like if you leap and the net will appear, right? Like that idea that you just need to jump and we jump. Literally, we're coming up on jumping for 3,000 days in a row abroad, away from our house. And every day we jump and we jump. And yeah, some days you maybe bump a little bit on the way down, but someone always catches you. There's always like some, you know, you know, trail magic or trail. What are the, what's the thing on the Appalachian Trail? The person who's I like, think it uh, is trail magic. Yeah, yeah, no, there's like a, yeah. So, trail you know, angel. your trail angel. Yeah, exactly. That's there's one. always like a trail angel out there or a road angel that, that somehow catches you or, you know, shows you this, this cool place to stay or invites you and in. Well, and when you can be a road angel, like it's, you know, we've, like I was saying with having a camper, like, you know, we finally be it very, very modest. We have something to give. We throw parties all the time. Buddy bar, buddy, the camper becomes mm -hmm. buddy bar. We host things like a speakeasy. We show up onto a street corner. We'll invite strangers in. Like we do this all the time. Yeah. We've taken in like stray bikers who like weren't allowed to camp because of a bear attack. We're like, come with us. You know what I'm saying? Like, we find it's so, it feels so good to give because God knows the world has given so much back to us that like you just keep that circle going. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And when you're in a position now to reciprocate in that way, it's such a great feeling uh, to be able to do that. And I love the spirit behind all that. I love you guys. I'm so excited that yeah. you, you came on to- One tip, to another share. tip for yeah. your for everybody listening in. Um, if you do want to be a road angel or a house angel, as it were, and it's a very easy thing to do and a great way to get your travel fix, and a great way to build up some serious travel karma is put your house, and I don't care if you have a studio apartment, if you've got a couch or a, an aero bed, put it up on couch surfing. And what's the other one? There's there's a whole RV world of couch surfing too called no, no. Boondockers Welcome. That's like, uh, yeah. you don't even need to open your house. It's just opening your land. Yeah. And that is so helpful to RVers and yeah. you, you meet other awesome travelers. Yeah, even if you just have like a driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee, or a little backyard where people can park their RV. So yeah, boondockers welcome. If you're if you have a space for people to park their rig and you can choose how many days, you can choose how long their rig is, you can say no access to the bathroom, but just a place to park. And then couch surfing is something everybody can do. And people are so grateful to just have a place to stay and they've got amazing stories because if they're on couch surfing, they're an awesome traveler who's going to tell you some really cool stories and share a glass of wine. And, and to not be scared because it's all open, right? Everybody has a profile. Everyone's got reviews. Like we've done all forms of this and have never had a bad experience. So, um, you know, it's a, the travel trust is, is a precious thing. And it's, um, you know, people most often don't break it. Like, so believe in the good in people. It's out there. You guys have shared some great resources uh, during this chat. Are there any other 
go-to resources for you that uh, outside of your book, of course, which we'll mention one mm-hmm. more time, uh, Comfortably Wild. And that's uh, we, we can't think of a better term on this podcast to say than glamping. So um, mm-hmm. it is all about glamping. But as you've heard, camping. that mm-hmm. Or just mean, comfortably wild. <laughs> comfortably <laughs> wild. That's great. Check it out. And what other resources are, if you guys think off the top of your head, uh, some that you use regularly? I mean, because we're deep in the um, road trip world, um, you know, one book that the National Geographic Scenic Highways and Byways book has every state in the country. And I don't care where you are. They've got they have a way to make Oklahoma, Kansas, you know, even if you've been through Colorado 20 times, there's a new way to do it. So that is a wonderful resource we pick up all the time. Like I swear, every time we start a road trip, we're like, what kind of scenic byways? Are? It's just getting off the main highways. It's like... Mm. America is ruined by interstates. There's so much beauty if you just get off um, and take the old road. Um, other resources. A smile. Yeah. Having a huge yeah. smile. That's the biggest resource you need, man. When you go to a place and like you're no matter where you go, whether it is like San Francisco or Arkansas or, you know, Tibet, like you go in there with a smile and an open mind and doors just fly open for you, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's just such a better way to, to travel than being scared or nervous. Cause you know, people, people see that and they, and they, they want, they want to interact with people with a smile and people who care about the destination they're visiting. So yeah, that's, that's my biggest resource. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that smile, shred a little gnar, gnar while you're out there, double gnar. And uh, exactly. check out honeytrack.com and you guys can grab the book. And if you want to get it signed, then you can come to our camp, which you guys will be speaking at. We're really excited about that. I was just so excited to have you on the show. So uh, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, is there anything else that you guys want to share? I mean, I think we shared all of the points where people can find you, but did I miss anything? No. We're all over, you know, Instagram, everything across social media is Honey Trek. So say hi, don't be a stranger. Like we love chat and travel. So feel free to reach out. And if people, yeah, two other little little plugs. If anybody is thinking about doing like a long, a long trip, we run something called Trip Coach. You can ping us about it. We'll jump on the phone at no cost and just chat with you about those courses. Mileage hacking to house sitting, the whole bit. Yeah, the, you know, how, how we do it for so long and afford it. And then the other thing, if you know anybody getting married or recently engaged, uh, Ultimate Journeys for Two is our book about couples adventure travel with Nat Geo. So grab one of those or for Christmas or holidays or whatever. And yeah, just thank you guys for the support. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah. All the listeners, if you have any questions at all, ping us on Instagram or whatever. We answer every single question we get in personally and yeah we'd love to help you guys just get out on the road that's great i really appreciate that and of course we could add to that those recently married people you were just speaking to maybe just don't come home from your honeymoon that seems to work out pretty good Totally, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to kickstart it but all right thank you exactly. guys so much and well we'll see you soon and we'll be in touch and thanks for your time and for sharing everything you did today much appreciated thanks so much for having us thanks man take care bye There you have it, my chat with Mike and Ann. Are you sold on glamping? Huh? I don't know. I am. I mean, I know the prices vary wildly, and I'm probably not going to be staying in a $1,000 a night glamping situation unless eh, anybody out there is listening and they want to put me up in one. Yeah, well, maybe we'll give it a go. But I love the idea of being connected to the outdoors. That's one of the things I always loved about car camping and road tripping is that... 
immediate connection with with nature and you get out of your car, your tent or whatever, you are on a road trip and then you're sleeping outside in some way or close to outside, you are just more in rhythm, in tune with outside, which at least for me gets me more in tuned with myself. I remember staying at a hostel down in Nicaragua and because it's so warm there, you're outside all the time. They had a huge veranda overlooking the ocean and the rooms weren't in a building. It wasn't concrete. It was just wood. So, I mean, air was coming in all the time. You were basically sleeping outside, but you had some protection. And I remember just noticing the moon cycles, uh, just for a week being there and being in touch with nature in that way. I don't know, grounds you, grounds you in some way. So I'm setting that intention for 2020 travel. I want to get my nature on a little bit more and that shouldn't be too tough in Norway. And I love kind of getting my head around what I'm going to do in the new year travel-wise. And maybe you're in that mode now since the new year's coming up. I will link up to a show that will be helpful for you. It's called How to Achieve Your Travel Dreams, Seven Strategies for Travel Success. I recorded it a while back, so it's in the Zero to Travel feed. You can find it wherever you get podcasts if you just search for that title. But I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. I really think these seven strategies still hold up. And I remember recording this in a cabin and thinking, hey, this is a good framework for planning your travels for the new year. So check that episode out. If that's something you want to do, feel free to give it a listen. Totally free to you, of course, as a listener, subscriber to this show. And I want to say thank you for being one. And I wanted to get into the question before I let you go at the top that we post, which is what I think may be the biggest reason that why going back to a place you've been before never quite feels the same. There are a lot of reasons. I'll touch on a few, but this is one big one. And maybe you got a hint of what we're going to talk about in the interview portion. Before we get into that, first, one last thank you to Victorinox for supporting today's show. If you want that 15% off, if you're doing some gift shopping, you want some great travel gear, they are the company that makes the official Swiss Army knife. You've probably seen it. No, I don't belong to the Swiss Army, but I do have one, have had one for years. But did you know they also make some of the best luggage out there on the market? They've got carry-ons in multiple sizes, USB ports, padded laptop compartments, uh, hard side, soft side, whatever your jam is, and plenty of other travel gear uh, products and other travel gear for you. So you get 15% off by using the promo code 015. If you type in 015 when you check out at victorinox.com, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-N-O-X.com. So check them out. Yeah, they reached out since I included the Victorinox Swiss Army knife in my gift guide a few weeks ago. And they said, hey, we want to hook you your listeners up with a discount and support a couple of the shows. Uh, for the holidays. So there you go. If you need to get some last minute shopping done, you can get the 15% off with the 015 code on their website. Thanks to them for supporting this show. Now this question, what is the biggest reason that it never quite feels the same when you return to a place? Have you gone back to a place recently or in the past and just had a different feeling? I think our first gut reaction is, well, of course, we might be with somebody different we are different people. That sometimes can gets lost in the shuffle too. But we're different. Of course, we're changing. But what's also changing is the geopolitical climate in any country you are in and what's going on in that country itself. Now, with my home country in the USA, I was asking a lot of these questions, uh, as you heard in the interview, 
because of the political climate and different things going on. So I know it on a more visceral level because it's my home country. I read articles and read media and understand the culture and understand what's going on. But that can be hard to pick up on when you are an outsider in a place where you don't speak the language and you're just traveling through. And you just really, it's re- it takes time to get into the cultural and uh, political climate or whatever is going on in the country, the intricacies of that. It's hard to absorb that unless you're really spending time in that place. And I think that's kind of a hidden thing that can make a place different. Not not so much hidden to the people that live there, but maybe hidden to the travelers coming through that, hey, we've changed. We might be with a different person. This is a different experience, but this place is also different. This city has grown. The climate, uh, the culture has changed in this way. It's just harder to pick up on. So maybe the biggest reason why those some revisits, I would call them, don't feel the same, but certainly everything else comes into play. And I think like Mike and Ann, if you're on the road for eight years or whatever, you almost, yeah, it's just almost like, it's not a blur, but having spent a decade on the road, I think sometimes I just forgot, you know, you're just living your life and you, you change, but it happens. It's like watching a kid grow. I'm watching my kids grow right now. You don't really see it happening, but then all of a sudden they're huge (laughs) or they're just different or they have increased their vocabulary by 50%. But it almost went unnoticed until all of a sudden it was there. And I think change is sneaky like that. It happens to us as well. We don't really see ourselves changing, but then we look back five years ago where we're not the same people in a certain way. So all of this plays into your travel experience, of course. It plays into your life experience. If you're moving your physical body to a physical location, it's going to affect your travel experience there. I don't really have a point to this other than to just have a dialogue about it and to, I don't know, these are the things I think about. These are things that keep me up at night and I just share them with you because that's what a podcast is for. (laughs) So I want to say thank you, my friends, for taking the time to be a part of this community, for listening. I want to leave you with a quote as well to kickstart your day or to end your day or to get you through the midday in, in a good positive way. Before I do that, wait, I almost forgot to tell you, Mike and Ann, who you just heard in the interview today, are going to be speaking at Camp Indie. I might have mentioned it in the show. If you go to campindie.com, we're doing a conference, an incredible conference at a summer camp. And Mike and Ann are going to be there talking about their full-time travel experience and sharing that with campers. So if you want to come to summer camp and hang out with people like Mike and Ann, I'm going to be there. My buddy Travis, who I've had on the show many times. We have a whole bunch of other uh, travelers, people that live in the location-independent lifestyle, living unconventionally, um, speaking, sharing, coming as attendees. We're all there to just share knowledge and help each other out, help each other do the things we want to do and have an awesome weekend and a summer camp together. So go to campindie.com if that sounds fun to you and you want to meet and hang out in person. This is where it's going to happen. It's going to be June 12th or the 14th outside of New York City in Kent, Connecticut. So I hope you can uh, make it. Check it out. I just wanted to mention that since they were on the show. Now, let me leave you with this quote from Alice Walker. This is a, a sweet quote. She said, In nature, nothing is perfect, and everything is perfect. I love that. And as you go about your day today, keep that in mind. Things might not feel perfect, but... Maybe everything is perfect, too. 
never know how these things will play out. So anyway, have a wonderful day. Smile. And until next time, take care. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.